Of all the famous mothers in the Bible, there was one who somewhat instituted that which we do in church, that which we did this morning when we dedicate children, and her name was Hannah, and the child she dedicated was Samuel. So in looking at the first chapter of 1 Samuel this morning, if you want to meet me there, if you have your Bibles available with you, and I hope you do, in this passage that we're just going to work through this morning, we're going to see what is there for us, that the Lord would have us, the lessons that are there for us today. So let's rightly divide the word of truth today. How many of you believe in the word of God? And so let's see what the Lord has to say. Lord, I, I just ask that you, that you give us your help today. I, I need you, Jesus. I need your help. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. So from your word today, and that's really why we've gathered. We've gathered to praise you. We've gathered to worship you. But we thank you, Lord, that you allow us to look at your word. It's still a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So speak to us today, O Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To understand the importance of Hannah, you must understand where she is found in the Bible and particularly what precedes her. Hannah's story opens up the book of 1 Samuel, which we're going to read in just a moment. It's important that we really read the story to grasp uh, all the things that I think the Lord has for us there today. This book of 1 Samuel comes historically, if you skip uh, skip the book of Ruth, right after Joshua and Judges. Joshua is the book of the people of Israel crossing the Jordan River and possessing the land of Canaan, which God had promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But toward the end of the book of Joshua, there's some, already some bad signs because the people are not possessing the land that God told them to. They're not stepping out and being aggressive in their faith as they were instructed to. And then now comes the book of Judges, which is the most depressing historical book in the Bible. And Why? Because after Joshua passes off the scene, things get worse. And the book of Judges shows us that this tribe didn't possess all its land and that tribe didn't possess all of its land. And this tribe didn't drive out the people as they were supposed to like God had told them to. But rather they settled down and they started to intermarry with people who were not Israelites, which the Lord had told them not to do. And God had told them not to do this because he says, when you marry them, you will not win them over, they will win you over, and then you will start worshiping their gods. And as God said, so it happened. And so the book of Judges is about the backsliding of the people of God. And then they worship this God and they worship that God, at which point God then says to them, so so you don't want to worship me? Okay, fine. I'll send you into captivity to the very people that I told you to drive out. I told you to confront it and and deal with it, and and, and now that you didn't do that, I'm going to allow you to be subject to them. And so over and over, the cycle repeats itself in their disobedience. The people go into captivity. Other tribes grind them down and use them and take advantage of them, and finally the people cry out to God, and he gives them a judge. We think about those God placed as a judge in this book, all kinds of familiar names come to us like Gideon or Samson or or Jephthah and one female judge, Deborah. God would raise up these judges to help them fight the battles and throw off the enemy. And then the minute they would get set free, the people go right back and serve the idols again. And so now at the end of the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No religion. No objective faith, no word of God, no authority of God's word. Does that sound strangely familiar to anybody today? It sounds like our own country. 
where we now are forming our own religion and we, we make our own decisions. And what we decide then trumps what God said in the Bible. Doesn't matter what God said in the Bible. This is what I feel. This is what I think. This is how I think it ought to be. And now all that's going to change, as is always the case, when change comes in the Bible, it's typically through personalities. Some say change comes through economic factors, but others will tell you that significant change, the kind of change that really shakes the earth, comes through personality. So God is going to send a godly personality which will culminate into the ultimate personality of Jesus Christ. And after him, there are no more personalities like his personality. So go with me to 1 Samuel for just a few moments. God is sending now Samuel, and and here's the way it happened. And please notice the detail as we read a a few verses here to get this story well put into place. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zaph, son of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives. I said, Elkanah had two wives. thought I would hear a groan or a something. Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. And each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Some other versions say it this way. The Lord had closed her womb. That's actually a bit more powerful way of saying it. The Lord had closed her womb. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears, and she she couldn't even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Careful, ladies, careful, careful. (laughs) Isn't that better than ten sons? And now this is not in the text here, but you sort of hear this, no. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. You must, must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, no, sir, she, she replied. I, I, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was just pouring out my heart to the Lord. 
Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. And then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. And then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Now, I know that's a long passage and a lot of verses to read, but it, it's really necessary to read all that to put the whole story in place, and though I know many of you are, are familiar with it. So in reading that today, church, Bethesda, what does it say to us? What, 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 are, what lessons are there? What, what applies to you and to me today? I know we don't live in these rough and tough days where you have to go to Shiloh to worship. We can worship God anywhere. Aren't you thankful for that today? For the Father seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who is ever making intercession for us. We don't need a high priest. We, we don't need to go to any Eli. We have someone better than Eli. We have the Savior, Christ Jesus. Is there a hallelujah for that today? So what's important for us to, to draw from the word today? Just a couple of, of points. Number one, I want you to notice the appearance of Samuel and who's going to change the history of the Old Testament. Some, cons cons some consider Samuel to be the first prophet. Others will argue with, about Moses. But the unique thing about Samuel is this, that he started the school of the prophets. He would get people that he found that God had gifted and he trained them to listen to God and, and how to speak to people and how to be bold and how not to back down and whatever else God had instructed them to do. Samuel is a, is a huge spiritual giant in the Old Testament. But in this passage, we see how, how did he come to be? How, how, how did he get here? How did he even come on the scene? The Bible gives us considerable detail which at first, when you read it, if you're like me, you think, did we, did we need all of that detail? There's a, there's a lot of stuff there. In other words, why didn't the Bible just say there was a woman named Hannah, she gave birth to a son, she named him Samuel? Why, why can't it be that simple? I mean, women have babies. Thank God they do. That's how we all got here. Amen? And, and, and that's why we're celebrating Mother's Day today. But listen to me, church. When we read the Bible, we should talk to the Bible. Don't be afraid to, to, to talk to the Bible and ask questions. Questions like, why, why are you giving me this detail? Why, what is the significance of knowing that one little odd piece of information that I'm not sure why that matters, but, but you're giving it to me? Sometimes God operates quietly in the small details. And when we ignore the small things, we run the risk of missing the full measure of God's work. There's a phrase that I kind of grew up believing that is this, there's the excellences in the details. I think that's true in our study of the Word of God as well. The excellence is looking at the details. Might be the kind of thing that everybody else reads over. But let's ask the Lord to give us the eyes to see. What are the details? What's the small things that He is saying? That's why we ask questions when reading Scripture. Because we know that all Scripture is inspired. It's profitable to us. And so we say, what is the point of what I'm reading? Well, one of the first things we see in this and actually all throughout Scripture is this, and it's already occurred in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is when God was going to do something really significant, particularly when it involved the fulfillment of a promise, 
he would bring the key person onto the scene and that person will be born to a woman who could not have children. It's an interesting point. It just seems to be the very nature of God that he loves to work with impossible situations so that people will be profoundly, we will, we will be so profound in our understanding of the need to trust in God and powerfully learn the lesson that with God, nothing is impossible. Let's try it over here. With God, nothing is impossible. More spiritual, thank you, thank you. Abraham's wife, Sarah, couldn't have children. Isaac's wife struggled to have children. And down through the Bible, over and over, there's always a story about physical inability being trumped by supernatural blessing, which makes it possible. How many are thankful for supernatural blessing? It goes all the way to the New Testament, too. Who was the forerunner to Jesus and declared, prepare ye the way of the Lord? It was John the Baptist. Who was his mother? Elizabeth. And what was the issue with her? She couldn't have children. So often when God is going to do something great, he looks for impossible situations. So here's what I, want, I think the Lord is saying to us, one of the things he's saying in this passage. Are you facing an impossible situation today? You don't have to answer me. Don't even lift your hand. Answer it in the quiet of your own heart. In fact, your heart may not even be all that quiet about it today. Are you facing an impossible situation? Then let's be encouraged from the word of the Lord and understand don't panic because your impossible situation and that environment of an impossible situation is the very soil in which God grows his sweetest plants. Is anyone thankful today for that? There's no way for Hannah to have a baby. She's barren. The Lord has closed her womb. And the Lord takes that situation and he says, and that's how I'm going to bring Samuel into the world. Don't you love it? So God seems to have this knack for finding impossible situations to prove that nothing's too hard for him. But there's something else in our passage I want us to see today. God, through his word, goes into great detail to tell us about another kind of situation that he uses to not only bring blessing to the world, but also to expand the person who's going to go through it. This woman, Hannah, is one of the most harassed, tormented, agitated, soul-weary, troubled, broken-hearted women that you could ever imagine. We've just read it. You read it with me. First of all, she has this husband, Elkanah, who has an ego problem. And not only does she have him, and, and, and the guy has another wife also. How many know that's a guaranteed recipe for trouble? It is. But now here we are in the new covenant, and so thank God we're only allowed one each. All in favor, say aye. That's what marriage is called. It's what marriage is all about, a husband and a wife. Can I get an amen to that today? Amen. So here's the situation. <clears throat> here's the situation. Hannah cannot have children, but Peninnah, the other wife, can. You know, you would think that Peninnah would be a classy person and she would you know, have the decency to have some mercy on Hannah. Feel some measure of compassion for her since she, Peninnah, had the kids but Hannah, Hannah didn't have any. Peninnah, though, seems to have this, um, this streak in her where she has to rub it in. She does all she can to agitate Hannah and torment her. I have children, what's wrong with you? 
Where's the blessing of God in your life? You'll never produce heirs for Elkanah, only me. My children will get the inheritance. You almost kind of hear a na-na-na-na-na-na behind it. Have you ever met somebody like that in life? You don't have to answer that out loud. Because <laughs> I think we all have. We've met somebody that's, you know, they're just there to torment. They're there to rub your nose in it. They're there to somehow accentuate what's already an enormous problem for you. And they, they seem to get some sort of a, a kick out of making it even, even harder. And here's what Hannah's living in. And every time they go up to worship, they go to the tabernacle at Shiloh, Penina has to rub it in even more. Oh, you're going to worship God? Why? What's he done for you? Look what he's done for me. There must be sin in your life, Hannah. You must have missed it with God somehow. Why, why would he close your womb? Maybe it's a curse from your parents. And on and on. And the Bible makes it clear. This doesn't go on for hours or for weeks or for months. But Hannah lives this for years. The same thing over and over and over. Brothers and sisters, I, I got to ask you, because some of you have lived in tormenting situation for a long time. Don't you have to say, how much can a person take? She's heartbroken. And the Bible went into great detail to tell us at least seven or eight adjectives about her. She's agitated. She's heartbroken. She's deeply sorrowed. She's burdened. She's provoked. You talk about provocation. This woman was provoked every day. And, it, and it's not hard for me to imagine that Peninnah could just drive Hannah to tears just by looking at her. They'd pass each other in the hall and look at each other. Peninnah could just give her a look. And that was enough to let Hannah know. Well, here's the reality of the situation. She has children. I don't. The Bible tells us that she broke down and she started to weep. And was broken to the point that she couldn't even eat. Because she's so heartbroken. And I know that there are many in this room today who know what it is to be completely broken. And God somehow, the situation with Hannah, God permits it. He almost orchestrated it. He's the one who closed Hannah's womb. He permitted Elkanah to marry this other woman. And now you have Hannah, a woman just about to burst. But I want to tell you something today. God is not only going to do something great for people by bringing Samuel. God is going to do something great for Hannah. Brothers and sisters, today, when you are drawn like a rubber band and you don't know where else to turn, where the people's, people closest to you are breaking your heart, they're provoking you, they're irritating you, mom, when you've had to put up with things you thought you would never have to put up with and you've asked silently that question, whatever made me think I could be a mom? I think it's happened to all of, all of mothers at some time or another. And cause you to weep tears that no one else knows about but you and God. Can I just remind you today, and could we all just be encouraged today, that it's out of those pressure cooker situations. I don't know how he does it. I can't explain why he does it. But in those very kinds of situations, our God works miracles. Bless his name. And I'm sure you would rather me say this some other way. But God permits us to get into a place that is so uncomfortable. And we love that verse, and I love this verse. I quote it all the time for myself and my family and others. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. But you know what? We have a tendency to make that always a positive thing. Like, I'm always going to walk in sunshine. But in Hannah's case, let's be real. 
Her steps were ordered to a place that took her to the breaking of her inner person. Brought her to complete brokenness. Because here's the truth. Many times when God is going to do something spectacular, he has to break the vessel. I wish I had another way of saying it. Wish I could give it to you some other way. If you've ever been broken, if you've ever had everything that you thought you were, everything that you thought you stood for, everything that you thought you were ever supposed to be, and you'd worked hard to get it together, if you've ever had that smashed, you know what it is to be broken. But he does that so all of the glory goes to God and God alone. And he brings her to a point of absolute desperation for him because she had nowhere else to turn. Her husband's clueless. Peninnah's walk in the house, making it worse. And the Bible says that every time she went to Shiloh to worship God, it got worse. I want you to know today, church, it's true in the Bible. It's true in our lives. Many, 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 many times God uses anguish. He uses difficulties. Those things that we saw in the video we just looked at, battling off discouragement, people tormenting you. He does that to work out something great, not only on the outside of us, but in the inside of us as well. Take David, for example. Think of all the psalms that he wrote that have blessed people for thousands of years. And why are those psalms so precious to us? Why do they have such great value to us? Because the guy was up against it completely. Real world stuff up against it. He's hiding in a rock, hiding in a cave, hiding in the wilderness. Well, why? Because Saul wanted to kill him. Well, why does Saul want to kill him? What did he ever do wrong to Saul? Nothing. The truth is he saved his bacon when he, when he slew Goliath. He was loyal. He loved Saul. And what did he get in return? Have you ever loved someone and had them hate you in return? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been kind to someone and they pay you back with dirty dealing? Well, that's David, torn from his parents, torn from his wife, running around hiding in the wilderness. But out of that experience, out of that journey, and all that went with it, out of that, he writes the Psalms that here, thousands of years later, are blessing us, encouraging us, and that give us on many days just what we need to go on. God does something through trouble that he doesn't seem to do in any other way. I don't understand it, church. I can't explain it. But there is something about what God does. And I alluded to this last week, and I feel prompted to remind you of this. You know, when we face trouble, we tend to do everything we can to avoid it. We value our comfort and convenience, and we work hard at, at making sure life is reasonably comfortable and convenient. And we all, you know, but there's times it's not that at all. Pain comes. Disappointment comes. Rejection comes. All kinds of things come. But can I just remind you of this? When in that moment, you've dealt with that kind of stuff and you still choose to do the right thing and you still choose to come to the house of the Lord and you still choose to bless and honor the name of Jesus, can I tell you that it's in that environment, it's in that situation that spiritual growth seems to come in bulk to you? Because that's the environment he works in. We all love blessing. 
We all love the sunny days. We all love the sunshine. And thank God for that. We rejoice in that when it's here, when it, when it's, when it comes. But the reality of it is, and I speak to those of you who today are facing trials and troubles and situations you never dreamed you'd be walking through, it's in that very situation that God does spectacular work and he wants to do something that he doesn't seem to be able to do or doesn't choose to do any other way. I don't understand it, but it's true. And the response of, of, of the person who's genuinely decided they're going to follow Jesus all the days of their life, they will do the right thing. They will still, still say, I'm going to follow Jesus, come what may. I didn't sign up just for the sunny days. I didn't sign up just for the good times, but I understand in the good times I'll praise his name and in the bad times I'm gonna do the very same thing. In all things I will give glory to the name of Jesus. That's what happens to David. Look at Paul and Silas. They go to minister at Philippi. Get arrested for what? They were just preaching the gospel. People lie about them, they get thrown in the slammer, they get beaten. But at midnight, <laughs> here's guys choosing to do the right thing. Is this tough? Yes, it's tough. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. Comfort and convenience, really? That's completely gone. But in the midnight hour, there's still something that can bubble up inside of you, even in the midst of difficulty, and they're going to choose the right thing. And you talk about spectacular. When they begin to praise the Lord... The choir used to sing about it years ago. I will praise the Lord. Even in the midst of being stocks and bonds and beaten and everything difficult. In the midst of that, what did the Lord do? Spectacularly, he sent an earthquake and shook the prison doors to open them. Because that's what our God can do, even in the midst of trouble. God does some of the most amazing things. When your heart is broken and you feel like you can't go on, moms, this is for you today. Dads, the same thing is true for you. Grandmas, grandpas, you're facing stuff you never thought you would face. Young people, the same for you. He will help you. He does great things, not only out of physical impossibility, but also out of mental, emotional pressure that you feel like you can't go on. So here's Hannah, she can't even eat. She can't even eat, she's so troubled. She's in utter distress. So how does this whole thing happen? Because, of course, out of her distress, out of her anguish, it drives her to pray. Some spiritual giant once said, the main thing God wants to do every day in our lives is to humble us and to help us to pray. Moms, having kids will humble you. Can I get a witness to that? You don't have to clap. I just want an amen. <laughs> you and I are looking for a sunny day, for a raise, for a promotion, for this to happen, that to happen. And yet God, who knows how spiritual life really works, tells us this. The weaker you feel, the stronger you are in God. Would you please pardon my emotion this morning? This is so resonating within my own heart. How many days have I felt so weak, so incapable, so inadequate, so not up to the task? And yet it's been in that very moment. It's almost as if God's saying, watch this, buddy. When I've had nothing to give, nothing was left. Wish I could tell you, Bethesda, those of you who've been around, how many times I walked through those doors at 10.30 on a Sunday morning 
so depleted, so discouraged, nothing left to give. God, I've got to go lead people in worship before a holy God. Not in this frame of mind, I can't. And all I can say is I walk through those doors right there. God, if you don't show up, if you don't come and help me, I got nothing today. I really got nothing. I know what it is to have him whisper in my heart and say, but I've got everything. I'm everything that they have need of today. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord. So you got it? The weaker you are, the stronger you are because his strength is made perfect in our, in our weakness. The Bible tells us Hannah is a great example. Oh, Dan, you got to hurry for crying out loud. Quit going off on rabbit trails. Can I preach just a few more minutes? And you'll stay here, right? Okay. <laughs> Hannah's a great example. And she's an incredible example of this mysterious thing called prayer. Samuel comes without question as an answer to prayer. No prayer, no baby. You have not because you ask not. Just think of all the people in the room this morning. God has something for you right now. If he could only just get you to pray like Hannah did. It would not only change your life, it would revolutionize your family. Help me, Lord Jesus. When Pastor Brent came on staff three and a half years ago, seems much longer than that, but... (laughs) When he came on staff, um, whenever it was, he... um, Without a doubt, one of the things he wanted to be able to do was to, <clears throat> for he and I to talk about orchestrating and arranging, which I have done for the last 150 years. <clears throat> and um, we have done that some. The busyness of life and the demands of, of, our, of what we do has kept us from doing it as much as we would like to do, but that, that's happened. And one of the things I began telling him was this when we sat down. <clears throat> And, and you're going to find this interesting, Bryn, how this parallel happens. Because as I was praying through this this week and realizing something, <clears throat> I said, now, Brent, one of the things you've got to do is you've got to build sort of like this mental toolbox. We've talked about the toolbox, haven't we? And um, because when you, have, when, you are, when you provide music and you're doing it as a, as a professional, you know, guess what? You have to meet deadlines, and it doesn't matter what else is going on, if you're in the mood, if you feel creative, if you feel inspired. No, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. If you're doing it as a professional, you have a deadline to meet, and they don't care how you feel in the process, just get it done. And so <clears throat> I began to say, you know, if you're going to do this and function in a significant level with this, you have to build a toolbox, and it's the way I always saw it. I, I'm a self-taught musician. I'm not proud of that necessarily. I don't recommend it for anybody else, but it's been my journey. And so I said, <clears throat> I said, Brent, because there's various kinds of things you may be called upon to do. And, you know, whether it's a symphonic piece or it's a pop orchestra thing or a jazz thing or a throwdown gospel piece, there's different tools for all of that. And you've, you've got to be able to, to, to build that toolbox up that's really, really critical so that when the moment comes and, and, and when... You're called upon or you're in a, in a certain situation or you're sitting there and you really don't know what to do with this song. I've sat and stared at empty measures and bars in my life, so what do I do here? And so I had to, over the 35 years I've done this, build this toolbox 
that it's kind of, in my mind, it's real clear. You open the toolbox and you reach for this. You know, how many of you know a wrench doesn't do the same thing as a hammer, necessarily? <clears throat> Let me just tell you, I'm the guy to be talking about tools. Let me tell you. <clears throat> But there's different tools that accomplish different things. And, and, and I was trying to pour this into Brent. Brent, you've got to have a toolbox, buddy. And, and, and you've got to understand that when this, you, this is the one you're going to need so that you reach in and, and, and you get the, the, right, the right tool because the, the time's going to come when, when you need it. And it dawned on me this week. Church, it dawned on me this week. We need a toolbox for a spiritual crisis in our life. You've got to have some place where you can go when you hit the bumps in life. And if you haven't hit any recently, be encouraged. There's one coming somewhere. It's going to happen. promise you. We need a toolbox for a spiritual crisis. We need the tool of the Word of God. You need to be able to open up that toolbox at just the right time in your life when discouragement comes or whatever else is there and you reach for that tool is exactly what you need for that moment. And there are times when you've got to reach in and grab the tool, which is the tool of prayer for that spiritual crisis that you're, that you're facing. My concern is this, that the church is creating all kinds of tools that are useless. We want to create, have the tool of consumerism in the church today. We want to have the tool that says, make everybody happy, tell them only what they want, instead of rightly dividing the word of truth. We have the tools of all kinds of things that are that are doing everything except causing us to be people living in covenant relationship in a church and being the church that is blood washed and the glorious bride of Christ, all kinds of tools that we think are cute and they're pretty, but they're not the kinds of tools that we need. Friends, there's times you need the tool of prayer. I said there's times you need the tool of prayer. I want you to look at how Hannah prayed. The gal had knew how to reach into the toolbox. Listen to me, church, don't miss the small stuff. By the way, that's the title of this message. Don't miss the small stuff. The Bible tells us that one day she just stood up and went to pray. There's no record of her in, in Scripture of her praying before that. Did she pray before? We don't know. However, there's no indication that she had, there, there, there is plenty of indication that she had not prayed because of her continued heaviness and brokenheartedness and agitation. But what was it? What, what happened? What was it? They're eating food. They're worshiping at Shiloh, eating the sacrificial meal, the celebratory food. And then one moment, one moment, something just pops in her head and she stands up. She leaves everybody else at the table and she goes and prays the prayer that literally changes the history of Israel. Mom, you mean a woman simply standing up to pray is going to change the history of Israel? Yes, because it's going to bring Samuel on the scene. And Samuel is going to change everything, and he's going to be the one to anoint David to be the king of Israel. What made her stand up that day? What did it? Those are the mysteries of life. I believe there, there could be someone here today listening to me in whom in the, ne in the next few minutes you may get that, that, that urge, that sense that it's time to stand and pray. You'll be stirred by the Spirit of God to want to call on God just like Hannah did. It's, I don't understand why it happens this way. Why, why did it occur to her to stand and pray? Why is it that some of you, are, are, your heart is stirred this morning? I know some of you are stirred this morning. I've heard from some of you before the service. Your heart is stirred this morning. 
You feel the call to pray. Something within you is causing you to want to stand up and, and seek the Lord and pour out your heart to him. And the person next to you may be thinking about lunch and why won't this preacher shut up? It's the mystery. Some people are moved, some people are not. Those of you like me who've been believers for a long time know what it is to see one person who seems so unlikely to become a Christian and yet God sovereignly moves upon them and bam, their life is changed by Christ and the next person looks like they get so close, almost persuaded, and yet they never come. Something moved Hannah. I can't explain it except obviously it was the Holy Spirit that must have done that. And she realized in that moment, I have had it. I've had enough. And I'm going to die of a broken heart unless God comes into this situation. And therefore she stands and essentially says, God is my only hope. My husband can't help me. I am barren. The other wife is an enemy of my soul. And I'm going to go pray. And dear ones, let me just say this. Can I just encourage you with this? Every time you ever feel a prompting to pray, I don't care if you're driving the, the freeways of Dallas-Fort Worth, if you're in an elevator, if you're at the job, if you're at home, wherever you are, every time you ever feel a prompting to, to pray, never disobey that prompting. Because it's not the devil telling you to go pray. It's not your flesh telling you to go pray. Only the Spirit of God is the Spirit of prayer. Will you ever have that prompting? Don't disobey it. So I want you to remember this on this Mother's Day. Every time you feel that inkling, go pray. None of us understand Exactly how all that works, but it just seems to be how prayer works. Something moved her, and now history is going to change because an obscure, grieving, wounded, hurting woman simply got up from the table at the tabernacle to pray. Notice this about her, and I'm going to close sometime today. <laughs> the Bible says she prayed in her heart. doesn't say she said anything out loud. In fact, she prayed in her heart. All that anguish, all that difficulty, all those problems just dug down so deep in her that she was able to maybe just pray a groan. Or Have you ever just had, had such a burden of prayer and had something that was so deep within you that all you could do was just groan? <laughs> I have. Many times all I could get out is, oh, God, oh, oh. And I'm so glad the Lord knows how to hear a groan, aren't you? The Lord knows how to hear the, the cry of your heart. This was so deep within her that even that cry, that groan, God couldn't refuse it even though he had closed her womb. God closed her womb, but all it took was that prayer. Because you know what? Jeremiah 29 says this, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. This sorrowful, broken woman was pouring out her soul to God. Is there anyone in the room this morning says, I know what it is to pour out my soul to God. That's different than, Lord, thank you for the potato chips today and glad for the soup and glad that's nice. Thank you for the rain. No, 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 no. It's another level. It's taking it to a different place where you literally pour out your soul to God. Just think, church, what would happen if God could use my words today, oh, help me, Holy Spirit, just to get one person to come and pour out their soul to God. God, you see my anguish. You see my situation. You see my circumstance. And all I can do is pour out my soul and give it to you. Think of the potential. Think of the possibilities.
But she made no noise, the scripture says. Some people think the only prayers that God will ever hear is if a pastor or someone's screaming in a microphone. No, she made no noise at all. There's times we do pray loudly with passion. But she never said a word. Like the priest thought she was drunk because she just prayed like this. Her lips were moving, but no noise was coming out. But guess what? That prayer moved heaven. I said that prayer moved heaven. Thank God for that. You know what? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me just a moment. I want us to. There's so much more from this passage. Maybe we can give more of it another time. I just feel so prompted in my heart as we've understood what took place with Hannah, as we understood that sometimes we are in a place of deep anguish. And I'm just going to do it this way as the musicians begin to play something softly. It's not going to be very dramatic. It's not going to be overdone in any way. But I'm just asking, is there anyone in the house today, mother, father, man, woman, young person, boy or girl, who somehow in the process of hearing this situation with Hannah, somehow with all of this, you say, you know what, I find myself in a Hannah-like situation. My circumstances seem absolutely impossible. It could be that there is even a woman in the room today, and I want to say this with every delicate sensitivity I possibly can, that it feels as though the Lord has closed your womb. You literally are wanting to have a child, and for whatever reason, it's not happening at this time. There may be somebody else who says, Lord, says, says to me, Dan, it's not, it's not a, a physical thing to me, but there are circumstances in my life that are absolutely impossible. It's, it's as if every door has been closed. And so I'm going to ask very simply, balcony, lower floor, if there's anyone who says, I'm in a Hannah-like situation today, pastor, would you pray? I want you just to get up from where you are right now and come down and let me and join me here at the front and let me pray. I'll wait for anyone in the balcony. I don't care if it's two, 20, 100, it doesn't matter. I want you to get up from where you are and let me just pray for you today. Come on, get up from where you are right now. I'm living with anguish. I'm living with torment. I'm living with deep discouragement. My circumstances seem absolutely impossible. I can't see any way out. Pastor, I struggle to just get my head up above ground many days. Who is it in the room? I'll wait for you. Anyone coming from the balcony as well, we'll wait for you. Folks, there are simply times when you've got to pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you are touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Your heart is inclined toward us today. Blessed be Jesus. Blessed be Jesus. Blessed be Jesus. Sometimes pouring out your heart to God sounds like a groan. 
Sometimes it comes from deep within, and that's okay. The Lord has ears to hear us today. I'm going to ask those of you who, um, who are here at the front, if you would just lift up your hands with me. Come on, just lift up your hands, and we're going to begin to pray. We've come to the house of the Lord. Eli is not the priest here today. Jesus is the priest. And he's here to hear your cry, the cry of your heart. He knows every detail. He knows the specificity of exactly what's going on with you. He knows how hard you've tried. He knows how you failed. And he's reminding you today that failure is not final in God. Failure is not final in grace. He knows your pressure. He knows your heartache. Lord, thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you for the privilege of being able to pour out our heart to you. When no one else understands, when our hearts are broken, when people are being unkind to us, there's a hiding place with you, oh God. You are our strong tower. You are our rock today. You are our fortress and we run to you. I thank you today that I can stand in the confidence that you've heard the prayers of your people. You've heard the hearts of your people. And they're saying, Lord, remember your servant. Don't forget me. Let me have that child. Let me have that opportunity. We're going to say today that the answer will glorify your name. Just as Hannah brought that child back to the Lord, gave him to you. Before she was even pregnant, Lord, she said she would give him to you. So the circumstances that are representative of this altar today, Lord, we're going to give the answer back to you. We do it in faith right now, believing, Lord God, that you are going to provide the answer. You're going to do your glorious work, and you are going to do something spectacular because that's the kind of God you are, even in the midst of our difficult circumstances. And in that, we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor, and we give you all the praise. So, Lord, we thank you today for the mothers in the house today. We honor them. We ask your blessing to be upon them. Oh, we thank you for praying mothers. We thank you for what you're going to do even in this day, Lord. Restore relationships. Lord, as we pray, we know that as we pray, you soften our hearts. You keep our hearts from becoming crusty and hard. Praying people are people who are sensitive and kind and warm. So, Lord, give us, as we've sought your face, give us warmth in our spirit as we are with others today. Let us be as you would be. And we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said amen. Would the rest of you stand, please? And Pastor Brent's going to lead us in something that we're going to rejoice in today as we leave this house. We're going to wish our mothers well and ask the blessing of the Lord to rest upon them.